Welcome to the Learning and Development Podcast. I'm David James from Loop, and each week I chat with guests about what lights them up in the world of people development. This week, I'm speaking with Laurie Niles Hoffman, who is Senior Learning Transformation Strategist. In this episode, we discuss Laurie's specialism, which is large-scale digital learning transformations. It's a conversation that picks apart some of the misconceptions about digital transformation and explores what we should be doing instead. So let's get into it. So Laurie, large-scale digital learning transformations are often oversimplified as LMS implementations and suites of content, albeit with a modicum of customization. But this is a myth perpetuated by the market, in my opinion, to sell silver bullet tech solutions that keep L&D digitally unsavvy and reliant on vendors. But, and to use your words, large-scale digital learning transformations are complex and can be daunting. In what ways is it more complex and daunting than we've been sold to in the past? Well, interestingly enough, um, they've always been complex and daunting, but we've not necessarily reacted to that. Mm. So what do I mean? Well, when a lot of these solutions first started coming onto the market, they were, to use your words, pitched as the silver bullet solutions. Mm. And people started after about six to 12 months really looking at the data, usage, KPIs, and they weren't seeing the results. Yeah. And I think that's that's what's changed. Now, there will always be some products who, you know, will sell very well because they're they're like the McDonald's of, of learning and, mm. and sometimes it's what companies want. But to do it really well, it's you, you can't always think of that technology being the, the switch you flip and everything falls into place because it just doesn't happen. No, and in, in my experience, I mean, I, I set that up there in, in a very cynical fashion, um, <laughs> but... I think that comes from years, we're talking 20 years now yes. of being saddled with learning technology that is positioned as the answer and then carrying that around like a millstone around my neck. And instead of expecting it to drive change to to equip people with what they need, it becomes an exercise in, in driving traffic to justify the expenditure, which is such a long way from what was bought in the first place. You are completely right. And and even that whole concept of driving traffic, you know, they, they, they'll, that's when they, when they start to engage marketing and comms and mm. you start getting all these campaigns. And it's silly because it's not really doing anything and they're not measuring the right things. I mean, I look at it when you when you buy a, a good learning platform and we can debate LMS, LXP, you know, whatever. Mm. But when you buy a, a good one. It's like buying a race car, and if you don't know how to drive it, if you can't, you know, use an auto, uh, use a, you know, a gear shift, you, you're basically just going to just strip the gears and 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 really not get the maximum out of it. Yeah. So you know that's that's what makes it complex. Yeah, and uh, you've you've signposted well there because I want to come down to how to drive these uh, a little bit down the line, but um, you've you've keenly felt the the pain that uh, that we've even started to unpack here inside organizations having held senior L&D positions at KPMG, uh, KPMG and Scotiabank. What pain have you experienced with tech implementations or attempts at transformation in these roles? So I think the biggest one is 
L&D is not clear why they are even transforming. Mm. <laughs> and and, and it, they're, they're really not thinking in terms of business KPIs. They're, they're thinking of learning experience. I will give them credit. And that's absolutely, you know, one that you, you want to be thinking about. Mm. But they're really not sure about the problem that they're trying to solve. Um, again, also, too, I find is that the L&D teams themselves, not just they don't know the problems to solve, they, they don't have the skills themselves. They haven't developed how to operate in this new environment um, and therefore they, 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 they struggle against that technology gets launched and, and fails. Mm. Um, the other thing I see too is they don't maintain that relationship with IT and that's really critical because they, they find this technology or something that they want to do and they either aren't aligned to the IT roadmap so they're not plugged into that so things that they think they're going to be able to do they, they can't. Mm. And they're also unrealistic about what might be the actual environment for the learner. You know, they want to see everybody on their mobiles. Well, does the company even provide, you know, mobiles yeah. or, you know, all of these questions. And so those are, those are probably the biggest pain points and, and, and where I see a lot of the transformations just, just fall to pieces. Yeah. And I think that, uh, that some of it, it's, again, it's a generalization. There will be clearly exceptions, but uh, a lot of the time I see, that the expectation of learning technology is too low. For example, people looking for just an online learning provision, just get a suite of content and, and that's what's required. And generally because there's an apathy towards online learning, but you need something. And, and again, it's such an outdated view, a one that is perhaps born from uh, or continuation of L&D's not focusing on their own development as far as digital is concerned, seeing is it more of an implementation rather than a skill set and a, a really powerful tool? Absolutely. absolutely. And, and, and you know, I know we'll, hopefully we'll talk about content strategy because yeah. you know how I feel about these, these massive courses for the sake of having, having content. It's, mm. it's, 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 it's a ridiculous mindset. But um, yeah, you know, to, to, to your point about you know, L&D really really is at times I find reluctant themselves to change. Yeah. Um, and they, they want to replicate the classroom, what they're good at in this digital platform. And they're, they're not respecting the, the, the medium and, and they, they're relying a lot on, on theory, which is great, but it's only going to get you so far. We're in a new age. Yeah. Um, and one of the reasons I wanted to speak with you, Laurie, is because you talk a lot of sense on um, organization wide, large scale, um, yeah. Uh, implementations. But I want to know, and again, just for the benefit of, uh, of the listener, at what stages do you start talking with these organizations? Is it at the, we've got an LMS, but no one's using it? <laughs> Is it at, we're over-reliant on face-to-face -face and need tech to do some of the heavy lifting? Or perhaps there's got to be a better way of doing things? Yeah, it's an interesting question because it is it, it really is a combination of all of the above. But, mm. but if I if I had to say the big one, it really is we've got a platform nobody's using. Yeah. And we're at a point where we have to do some reporting back to our stakeholders. And 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 that's it's it's not an ideal place to 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 come in because you know you're I, I don't want to you know, we, we mentioned it before, I don't want to solve for getting more clicks to your platforms. Like mm. I you know, I that that's that's not that's not solving a, a, an L and D issue. So, um, but it, it really is. It, it's it's usually the panic mode um, that that we get we get brought in at that at that time. Mm. Um, other times too, you will see uh, that um, 
you know, they are just looking to transform. They know they need to transform. They want to maybe benchmark platforms. Um, so, so, so yeah. Or uh, I'd actually say too, one that I didn't mention is it's funny. We find L and D teams themselves don't necessarily initiate the change. It's mm-hmm. usually coming from an, a pressure, meaning perhaps companies not meeting their sales, perhaps, you know, there's new regulatory requirements, whatever it is, but it's that external pressure that's on them that they now have to respond to. Uh, and we try and help to get them back on the, the track of being a little bit more in control. Okay. That's interesting. Um, and then in your work, you break transformation down into some key areas that makes it easier to digest, so um, to understand and plan for. Can we go through these, starting with target operating model? Sure. So for me, I've always been frustrated with the annual plan. Uh, you know, the, the business will come to you in March because they have a learning need and, and L&D sits there and, go, and says, Oh, oh, we don't have the resources, the time, the budget. We can't react to this. Uh, we'll go to a vendor, or mm. or we'll you know do something else, or we'll have to just say no. And that always frustrated me because I just thought that we can't operate like that. And then we wonder why L and D or why the, the business backs away from L and D and does something on their own mm. because they're not getting they're not being responded to. So the target operating model that I go to is basically how you operate in an A and E. So those. Uh, requests that truly are emergencies or require critical care or are going to impact the business, they rise to the top of the queue. Mm. And those that aren't necessarily impacting, you know, key KPIs are going to go a little bit to the, to the bottom. Now, what we do is as requests come in, we actually put them through a triage akin to like, is, are you bleeding? Do you have a fever? And I'm asking questions like, is this revenue generating? Is this regulatory? Um, if we're doing a centralized model, there are certain topics like leadership that we don't want outcrops being built. We want to prevent duplication and we want to hold it in, in centrally. Mm. So we would ask, you know, is this a leadership topic or coaching or any of those? And as and the other question I asked too is, is there evidence of need? Yeah. So I know I won't go through all of them, but there's probably a dozen. And that kind of gets you really about 70% of the way through performance consulting. But it also now allows me to weight and score what is really needed best by the business. And literally on a daily basis, we are pivoting. And it may sound chaotic, but actually it works quite well because if you, well, I was using work, Workfront was a great software that we used uh, to manage it, but we really were delivering to the business what they needed and we could prove that. Um, sorry, just a couple of questions there. Um, sure. Who are you talking to um, about this and what was the, the tool you were using? Sorry. Sure. So the tool that I was using is Workfront, right. which is a uh, which is basically a project management tool on 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 steroids. Mm. Um, but it did allow you to do that resource a- allocation, uh, rapid reprioritization um, in, in in a seamless seamless way. So so that was really we needed. We couldn't rely on spreadsheets and Excel files. Yeah. It just just wasn't good. It just wasn't going to work. Um, and you also asked who who I was talking to. Do you mean in terms of companies or in terms? Oh, of so the stakeholders within, yeah. To, to- to get the yeah. map of the world, their world. Absolutely. So it was definitely with, with, with stakeholders and, and speaking to them like true business partners and mm. being able to show them like, okay, yeah, you want this leadership course, but hey, we've got this, you know, regulatory or this is a sales driver that's going to drive revenue. You know, that's, that's to me is, 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 you know, a heart attack versus somebody with the sniffles. So what do we really want to do? 
Okay, so um, this might lead us on then to content strategy, uh, which is so much more than millions of pieces of content and more about the useful stuff that people need. Am I right? Absolutely, absolutely right. Uh, so one of the things that um, I, I typically do is I kill about 70% of the traditional e-learning. Mm -hmm. If it isn't regulatory and compliance, because those I have to build in e-learning and I need to build in a SCORM package um, or SAPI, um, but I, that I need to track, yeah. I put it in that box. Anything else, we break out. I mean, everybody's read about Nick Shackleton Jones, you know, moving from courses to resources, and, and I fully embrace that. And, you know, start thinking about, you know, when a request comes in, I, again, going back to that medical analogy, you know, not everybody needs open heart surgery. Is it just a plaster or is it, you know, a, a, a tablet? Mm -hmm. So it could just be an article could it be a rough um, podcast or, or video mm -hmm. that's the way that we need to think because that person on the other end needs that that content and they need it quickly and the other thing too about content strategy is rethinking what good content looks like mm -hmm. the cartoons gimmicks you know, all those drag and drops there's no you know basis in science behind those working no. what i look for is good storytelling narrative um, authenticity what people can relate to and it, it, it's tight and concise I think that, uh, that, that you've hit the nail on the head there. If, if you understand from your stakeholders and the main actors, those you're wishing to influence, what it is that they uh, are faced with, so their situations and the challenges that they overcome. If you add a time element within there, so when they are experiencing that, then you're giving people what they need when they need it in order to perform. And then as far as content's concerned, if I understand you correctly, you're looking for the most efficient and effective medium in order to do so. I'm with you. I, yeah. I can't stand, you know, I, I, I say it's like cursory interaction, drag and drop, yeah. reveal boxes. Yeah. Let's treat adults like mm -hmm. adults. We've kind, of, we've kind of fooled ourselves into thinking that engaging content means that people are happy with clicking boxes. I've got a five-year-old daughter who wouldn't be happy with that today. No. I mean, but we're but you know, I'm trying to make learning fun in that in that regard. Like in the in the context of people's daily working, they're looking for the means to get them from not knowing to doing in the shortest possible time. And you and I know that we learn by doing. Absolutely. And what I always think about is that person on the other end, I'm glad you said treat treat our, our, our audiences like like adults. You know, these are highly skilled people. And mm. I think we also have to look at the average lifespan of a skill now is three to five years. Yeah. The pressure right now that is on the average employee who maybe is being faced with automation, robotics, things like that, the pressure on them to learn and continue to learn may be the difference between being relevant or redundant. Yeah. They have a mortgage to pay and they have, you know, kids to take care of, aging parents, whatever making them jump through these hoops to click on things and click to reveal and mm. all, it, we're not helping them. Yeah. We're not helping them. I think that, you know, there, there are several things that we need to address here. I, lo I love it when I, I read and hear about people, um, ex well, learning development, expecting to be more humble, let, let, leave the ego at the door because yes. we don't need to, to create uh, a course. I mean, I've seen some stuff showcased to me, a lot of whizzy learning. And honestly, it was painful to be exposed to a, a short amount of it, let alone yeah. being expected as an end user to go through it. But right. there is there is this um, leaving the ego at the door means that we, right. we shouldn't be creating stuff that, that is a wonderful showcase that we're proud to do. It's just about the usefulness. And I think that what, again, expecting more from learning and development and our learning technologies means putting ourselves 
in the shoes of the of the user going back to your point there you've got somebody facing a situation or a challenge well, what i like to say is like when it comes to um people new to an organization or new to roles trying to solve problems that have been solved a thousand times before again and again and again because there is no provision the 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 face-to-face element is a one and done. They're bombarded at the outset or with new managers years down the line. The e-learning doesn't actually tackle the situations and challenges that the people face. It's much more of a, an academic exercise, sharing some theories that may or may not be useful. Nothing dealing with the now. And then you've got the future skills element. So if you are looking to increase or um, uh, flex organizational capability, what is it that we can do Again, I think it starts with our imagination rather than the technology. What do we need people to do and then work back and say, how do we use technology to signpost some of this stuff? Because, Laurie, I'm, I'm, you might jump into a resource that could be really helpful. How am I helping you to get to the next one that might be more useful to alert you to a, a pathway that, that may pique your interest first and develop some capability later? But all of this stuff that's deeply ingrained in helping them go from not knowing to doing in the way that the organization expects. And I think that our imagination lets us down a lot of the time. Then we are let down hugely about the tools, but maybe we go into that in a bit. <laughs> Is this what you're talking about? I mean, I'd love to know some more about the content because it's not just about a resource. It's not just about an e-learning. No. There is some gluing together. There's all of that stuff, isn't there? Oh, completely. And, and that's why I, I've really been exploring the concept of, of, of campaigns, responsive mm. campaigns. And these are not... To be clear, these are not curricula that somebody goes through 101 to 201, yeah. 301. It, no, when I'm talking about responsive campaigns, it's 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 really about it's it's almost thinking of learning in the sense of, of a funnel. I mean, we have mm. we see the sales funnel, right, where they're educating the market, and I don't want to get, get you know to layer it directly on top. But, but the idea is is that you're nurturing people along with with content and thinking and connections. And depending on whether what I mean by responsive, whether they engage with it or not, you you recycle them back back through yeah. through the funnel. And but it's that concept of nurturing them through, and and just like you were saying, giving them content when they need it, but guiding them to the next, guiding them to the next mm. in a way that's meaningful and impactful for them, is is really an interesting way to think about you know all of these these resources because. The challenge that I have is I firmly believe moving towards resources, whatever those Mm. might look like, but then you end up with a bunch of stuff. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) And it's how do you organize that stuff in in a a, a way that is also too meaningful and impactful for that person and gets them from point A to point point B. So those are really meaty, you know, things to think about. And uh, part of that, I think, is what I wanted to be talking with you next about about using data. But yeah. I think that there's even more crude than that. I, I always say um, that, that as people come into and through an organization, there are elements that are so predictable. An example is get some recent new starters that have been with your organization one week, put them in the room and sit and put the timer on to sit, you know, get them started talking about a conversation and see how quickly they all agree. Yes, that happened to me too, because it's so predictable. Take away the technical element of the role. People are butting up against the culture in a way so they don't know how to get the right things done a lot of the time. This stuff is so predictable that you can glue digital experiences and face-to-face experiences together to connect people with the know-how to what I said earlier so they don't have to solve the same problems that have been solved a thousand times by new starters and new managers again and again and again. 
And uh, all excellent points. And 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 I would I would even also add to that. You know, th yes, the, the duplication factor. You know, these things that we know the predictive there's predictive elements. Like everyone's, you know, we we know what they are. Like I, I can't figure out how to do my time entry. I don't know how to do. You know, all the, these sorts of things are are going are going to happen. I also would challenge too and say what things really are learning and which things are really process. Yeah. Um, you know, I always say that, you know, L and D cannot fix shitty design. Mm. I'm sorry, I just swore on your podcast. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Um, but what I mean by that is, you know, if there's, you know, a, a system that you have that allows somebody to do something that you don't want them to do, right? I'm yeah. thinking like in banking, no amount of training is going to trip that switch because yeah. you built it that way, fixed for the root problem. Yeah, you're completely right. And I think that, that there's, there's also within thinking about um, content as well, when you think about resources, a lot of people think, okay, that's performance support, put that in a box, and then mm -hmm. performance support equals job aids. But stuff that we've been working yeah. on with clients is stuff like when you've got new starters, how do you raise your profile in the organization? That yeah. is a blocker to getting the right things done. And a way that we've, that we've done that with clients is get a load of people who've solved that problem together Ask them what they did. You've got a montage of like video headshots of people explaining that. It's like having five people, five to ten people in the room sharing with you what what they what they actually do. And another one is um, in a similar situation. How do you manage someone who doesn't like you? Right. So there's there's, there's not a job aid for that. You don't go through a checklist. But if you can provide the insights of people who have solved that problem in the context of your organisation, because there are implicit expected and rewarded behaviours, then that. That will do so. And, and even more recently in an organization, um, they've got this thing called the charm um, that um, is, is, what, is how people get on. So, so our client in that organization help, has helped to unpack that to make it accessible to everybody in the organization. Now, that's not one resource. That is telling a story and also um, unpacking the situations that in which this occurs to prepare people to shine their, char their charm, as it were, to, to exhibit that. I mean, how powerful for an organization who, who are, are making the implicit explicit to, to empower, to arm people, to be able to progress in the way that's expected. We've all been in organizations where smart people have almost been expelled <laughs> uh, like the, from, from the culture. Whereas, you know, you, you've got opportunities to, to bring it to life with different forms of resources. And, and, and I, I love all of those examples because I think the biggest power that I see in the technology we have today is that we do have access to more people and information than we ever had. Yeah. And harnessing that together in, and I, I love the storytelling aspect and the realness of it. Yeah. It's not something in canned. It's not, you know, a, some, some acronym some professor has thought of and, you know, thrown, thrown that out. It's, it's, it's something that's, that's, that's real. And that's what we, we're, we're craving. The digital, uh, you know, relationship is, mm. is that, that realness is, 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 is essential. Yeah, it's scaling humanity. But I, I want to talk to you about, again, one of your sweet spots here about you're, you're big on data-driven design and analysis beyond just yes. the post-mortem of, say, a learning intervention. How right. do you advocate the use of data analytics in your approach? Well, first of all, I make it simple. I say, look for, get the data that already exists. Okay, yeah. so don't don't try and create a, a list um, because you know people are funny about data. So so know first of all, I should also say preamble to this: know know the privacy laws mm -hmm. <laughs> before you start touching data. But I'm not looking for individual data. What I'm looking for is just some basic things. What are people looking for? Yeah. What time of day are they looking for? Are they using their mobile? What evidence 
does do we have that there is a learning need out mm. there? Um, those are those are basic pieces. And when you have those, they just become signposts to, to make better design decisions. Mm. And it, it usually comes up to I, I always come to the table with um, some key pieces of data when there's a performance consulting conversation. Uh, and that's what I when I consult, this is what I will teach the teams to do yeah. so that, you know, they they really can manage that conversation quickly and effectively and get get to the, the, the root cause much, much faster. Um, and uh, please excuse my ignorance if, uh, if it's not, but is this, is this an, um, uh, an entry into digital body language that have you spoken about before? Yes, absolutely. Um, and, and what I mean by digital body language is when, when we were in the classroom, whether we want to admit it or not, we do, as a, if you're a facilitator, you're watching the people in your classroom and you're determining whose attention is lagging, who is really keen, who's looking out the window, who's on their smartphone. Mm. Online, we don't have that relationship. I can't see where that person is. I can see where they're going within my context. I don't know if they've got Instagram open. I don't know if they're just letting that compliance module play because they have to. So I'm looking for digital body language. And there, there are things like I mentioned before, you know, um, you know, clicks, downloads, likes, comments, shares, uh, time of day, day of week. Are they mobile or desk or laptop? Why I'm looking for those is because I can then respond to that digital body language. If I have a video that people are only viewing 15 seconds on, okay, that's giving me a pretty clear indication it's not valued content. Did I title it incorrectly? Is it in the wrong spot? Um, see how I'm responding to, to, to that person. And when you start to do that, it just makes some of your design decisions no-brainers. Um, which leads me on to... Um the next part where does classroom sit in this with you i mean we've we've focused hugely here on um the digital element do you get involved in classroom does it reframe as a result of leading with digital solutions i we we need classroom I, I, I just, I, I, I never say that digital will eliminate classroom. Absolutely not. Mm. What I think it's more about is being smart about what actually is in the classroom, whereas it's more of that. I like to put more of the doing in it because it's yeah. a perfect opportunity. Um, but it's, it's being smart about making where that investment occurs. And I do think that every employee needs to have access to, to, to classroom training mm. um, done done effectively. So, so it's really looking at, you know, that whole blended again that 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 campaign as opposed to the curriculum mm. and where classroom would sit within that. Yeah, I, there's in a previous podcast we've had Tracy Waters at Sky, uh, and she said that they stripped out classroom training. They've gone mm. for um, learning at the point of need, but it's not that they've removed the face-to-face element is that they run workshops, which is all about the conversation, which is all about the practice. What they've right. removed is the content delivery and the impossible nature of retaining enough information. Let's take a step back. The impossible nature of knowing what people need and therefore preparing the content for that situation. It's much more collaborative. It's it's all about the the, the people. And then there's the phrase that I, that I use a lot, which is you allow people to do what they do best, which is discuss, debate, challenge, learn from each other and all that great stuff. And you remove the bit that we're really rubbish at, which is that retention of an enormous amount of information that we can't see the benefit of at that time. 
completely agree. And, and I think we're essentially saying, saying the same things. Like mm. that's what I'm looking for, for those, those classroom, whatever we're calling classroom experiences, workshops, yeah. it's maximizing that, that, that time where, you know, it's not the sage on the stage telling yeah. a bunch of information. Now, skills are a huge part of transformation and L&D is largely and generally remiss of digital capability, having favoured the classroom and other face-to-face -face interventions for so long. But what are the skills gaps you see and how do you seek to address these um, with your clients, with, you know, with, with practitioners who are keen then to develop? So I'll start with, with a bit of bad news. Mm. <laughs> when I consult on these transformations, um, the honest truth is I go with a third, a third, a third model, and that is a third are ready to go. I mean, they've seen, they know the direction they need to go and they've either started developing the skills themselves or they're, they're keen. Another third is really not sure where this ship is going, but they are willing to be on board and they have high learnability scores. And then a third is not going to make it through. And the, the traditionalists, it, it's, it's a shame, but, but, but no, they won't. Yeah. And I'm not an HR specialist or an OD specialist, so I, I, I put that out there for the company themselves to deal with how, how they wish to, to, to deal with that. Mm. But it, it, it's, it's simply the way that I see it always play out. In terms of the skills, um, we're looking at things like that we've never looked at before, data analytics. Yeah, I always say if you, if you have no budget uh, or very little, uh, go to a local university, get a master's student, say, can we collaborate with you? And you look at our data lake and see what's possible for three months, right? And we'll help you with a thesis or, you know, something. Mm. Um, or build that skills and skill set in-house. Community managers, if you're going to be buying one of these solutions, you can't just launch. You do need to have people seeding the conversation and, and commenting and bringing people together, making those connections. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, brought, I bring in journalists, so people who do not have an L&D background, but understand the digital media. They can interview well. They can write a story, a really good narrative with a mm -hmm. book, um, and they can turn it out within three to four hours. Um, so, and they love doing it and, and we learn a lot from them. And then, you know, things like videographers, graphic designers, you'll need to, to augment that, to break out of the, the you know, the, the freebies that we like to download <laughs> online that don't really work. Um, and, you know, performance consulting is, is a skill. I think no matter what you're doing, even if you're mm -hmm. not transforming, you need to have, um, and even a photographer. Yeah. yeah. Uh, get 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 uh, and and marketing. So these are the things that you start. Not saying everybody needs to be an expert in all of this because it's just not simply possible. But those are areas I'd highlight that if you are um, somebody who knows their team is transforming, things you'd want to look at. Yeah, I think that uh, I think that's a, a, a great list of skills, and I think that uh, um, in my experience, you you're right. There are people who want to roll their sleeves up and and have a go. Um, and, and can get pretty proficient. I mean, there's some, some decent copywriters. Um, but, but I think to your point there, you don't necessarily need to, to own all the skills in-house. A photographer might, might be uh, freelance. There may be uh, somebody within your organization that's highly likely to be someone in your organization with, uh, with the kit and the skills. Um, again, videography, I think that uh, is a, another one. But when, when 
when you know how to do this stuff, and you, you know, we're working with clients and turning around these video head montages, asking questions, so once you can turn that into a factory, when you've got one yeah. person you're going to ask five questions to. But the most important part of that is what you said right at the outset there when we're talking about target operating model and performance consulting. If you know what the problems are you're trying to solve down to a situation and a challenge um, uh, degree, then you yes. can line up those people, those 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 people who have successfully solved that problem already. And then you can just churn out loads and loads of videos. But it's not, again, it's not, you don't often need those skills in house. You just need to have access to those people. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And and some, it's, it's always interesting too, just from a practical standpoint, I always find that when you go to uh, L&D, well, some L&D vendors, they will charge a lot for things like video and things like that. Mm. But if you go to content creators who do video as their DNA, you'll be surprised that the prices are, 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 are much lower because they already have the equipment. They're not renting studio space. It's all there for them. Exactly. Exactly. And, uh, and if I could just uh, say something a little under the radar that might upset a lot of people, they're not trying to do fancy learning stuff either. They're just yeah. trying to pass on messages from people to other people. And that, a lot of the time, is powerful enough. Anyway, right, back to the main show. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but going back to the beginning, what are you seeing are the main pitfalls that L&D fall into in their best efforts to digitally transform? As we started before, tech is not the solution. Um, I also see too that they fall in love with a tech um, you know, platform before even really realizing it's going to work. I'd say the other big one, not talking to the learner. Uh, get a minimum viable product, put it in their hands and you know, see what they think about it. Does it fit into their day to day? Or is it something just that L&D thinks is going to work for them? That that to me, I think is, 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 is massive. Um, respecting you know, that digital medium is simply different. Don't try and recreate the classroom online. Mm. It's not what it is. Um, and then, you know, take the CTO, a chief technology officer out for, for coffee and have a good conversation with them because you need that relationship and they will help you. Mm. Uh, great, great tips. So, Laurie, as, um, as we wrap up then, um, final question, recognizing that there's no shortcut to true digital transformation and that it requires focus and the work the work to get it done we've already discussed today to do it successfully what advice would you give to people who recognize they need to make their first steps towards it the advice that i would give is the, the transformations that i've seen be most successful they've done all of the work before the launch mm. so they do all the party planning before they you know even you know you know say surprise um and and that is even if you don't have budget for the technology you can still start at that point it yeah. comes back to looking at your target operating model looking at the skills on your team how are you going to move to to resources start at that point and then get yourself when that is a well-oiled machine then you go for launch. Don't yeah. try and do it otherwise because you will destroy that platform and you only have one shot to get mm -hmm. people in, engaged. There's so much platform and app fatigue out there. If you don't get that window right, then you're, you're, you're sunk. So don't risk it by not being ready. I think that's a, that's a great tip. And what I read within there as well is don't choose your tool before you know what work needs to be done. Don't go around Absol with a hammer looking for nails. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. You know, really understand what that, that learner needs. Go to the shop floor, go to the factories, go where, you know, the, the, the branches or the stores, 
see what's happening there before you say, oh, I love what that does. <laughs> Wonderful. Now, Laurie, I know that you're prolific online with, uh, with, with sharing your, your expertise. So if people want to follow you or get in touch, how can they do so? Certainly. So my Twitter handle is at Laurie Niles and I blog at laurieniles.com or if you want the short version, laurie.ca. They both go to the same place. Wonderful. And we'll put those links in the show notes. Laurie, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for, the, for appearing on the Learning and Development Podcast. Thank you so much. I really, really enjoyed this conversation. I love a bit of myth busting and calling out stuff that's hard, but worth it in pursuit of real results rather than justifying spend on platforms and content that people don't use. If you're enjoying the podcast, please give us a rating on your podcast app of choice. And if you'd like to get in touch with me, perhaps to suggest topics you'd like to hear discussed, you can tweet me at David in Learning, connect on LinkedIn or Facebook, for which you'll find the links in the show notes. Goodbye for now.